one of the reasons that biblical Christianity has to be so drastically distorted in order to be sold to mass markets is because the markets want power to escape from weakness in leisure. And biblical Christianity offers power to endure weakness in love. Verse 9, doesn't sell. Jesus said, in response to Paul's prayer, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Notice, in weakness. What the market wants is power from weakness, out of weakness, away from weakness. And what Christianity offers is power in weakness. And therefore, to sell it, you change it. But we lose two important things. When you distort the message in order to sell it, you lose, number one, the truth of the message. And more tragically, really it's all the same, number two, you lose the capacity to meet the real need that you and I have in adversity. The really deep need is not for immediate escape. That's not the real need you brought into this room this morning. You feel that way, perhaps. But I hope by the end of our time this morning, you will know of a far deeper need in adversity, weakness, that must be met or all the escape from weakness in the world won't satisfy your heart in the end. So what I want to do this morning is for God's truth's sake and for your and my need's sake, try my best to unfold this text with as little distortion as possible. It's in front of you on the page. If you have a Bible, you judge my exposition. I have three questions I want to try to answer. Number one, what are the weaknesses being spoken of here? When Paul says, the power of Christ is made perfect in my weakness, what is the weakness? Number two, What's the source of weaknesses? Where do they come from? Are they from Satan? Are they from God? Are they from both? Some interplay. Number three, what's the purpose? Is there a goal for my weaknesses? If Satan causes them, what's his goal? If God causes them, what's his goal? If they are somehow intertwined, what's their goal? Those are my three questions. And the reason I ask those three questions is not just because they are answered here, which they are in this text, but because I need those answers and you need them. I believe that every one of us lives in weakness and we're striving all the time to get out of it. Hardships, insults, calamities, distresses, we live there. And what we need is what these three questions give us to strengthen us and help us. Let me uh, illustrate from Wednesday night. We had a great strategy meeting in the chapel and uh, a lot of good news. One of the songs we sang has a chorus that goes like this. 
Since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my heart. Now, not everybody sings with as much self-critical awareness as I do. I mean, I'm picking on every song I sing. What does that really mean? Who wrote that? How could they say that? And so I'm sitting there, I'm standing there singing, saying, I wonder how these people are processing these sea billows tonight. Since Jesus came into my heart, like sea billows, joy is breaking over my heart. Really? Well, here's the way I processed it. I try to give the benefit of the doubt to all hymn writers and say poetic license and things like that, you know. So I just said, now, Lord, since Jesus came into my heart, I have known sea billows of joy breaking on my heart and rolling over me. I've known that. But not always. Sometimes the tide goes out. God is still God. Joy is still joy. But I'm in the seaweed on the beach and it stinks. That's the way I process that hymn, Dean. <laughs> and I think the person who wrote that hymn would say, I know what you mean. That's, I didn't mean all the time. But now I just want you to know that this text is realistic. It fits life as we know it. And so I want to ask, first of all, what are weaknesses? What are the weaknesses here? Verse 9, my power is made perfect in weakness. What's he talking about? Or he goes on, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses. What's he talking about? Or it goes on in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. Now, what is this? Can we define the weaknesses here that Christ is magnified in and you can boast in and you can be content with? Now, the best way to answer that question, I think, is to keep reading in verse 10 and let the next four words, the last four words of of verse 10 Unpack the word weaknesses. Let me just give you those four words. Let's see if your translation is, is close to these. He goes on and he says, I'm contending weaknesses. And then he gives four words. Insults, hardships, persecutions. And then the RSV says calamities. Yours might say difficulties or, or something like that. Now let's just take those four words. I believe that's what he means by weaknesses. Insults. What's that? Insults are when somebody um, uses their words to show that something you believe, something you've done, something you felt, some part of your lifestyle is stupid or inconsistent. We were giving out tracks over at the Dome a few weeks ago. Finding the field of your dreams. This is great. Great test of your courage. And uh, we were walking back. Here's an illustration of an insult, I believe. Not a very bad one, but 
some guys, I was coming across the parking lot there of the dome, and they had picked up the uh, brochure probably from you, Daniel, because you were out here on 11th. And, uh, and they were kind of, three of them, walking together. And one of them with a real loud voice said, Thus saith the Lord, play ball! Which was just mockery. Thus, he wasn't reading, he was just making it up. Oh, look, it's Christian track. Thus saith the Lord, play ball. In other words, to make it, to make you feel dumb, to make the whole enterprise of sharing the greatest news in the world look foolish. That's an insult. And when that happens to you, you feel weak because you want to come back. You want to come back and have the last word. And if you keep your mouth shut, you feel and look weak. The next word is hardship. The word there implies being forced into a place against your will, into a circumstance. So it's reversals. It's circumstances brought upon you that you don't want. You'd get rid of them if you could. And they're pressing in upon you. You feel trapped. It's a trapped feeling in a hardship. You didn't plan it. You don't want it. You wish it weren't this way. If you had human power, you'd get rid of it. But you can't. You don't have the power. So you're in it. Hardship. The third one. Is persecutions. Now, this is where wounds or abuses or painful circumstances or acts of prejudice or exploitation that people, for the sake of your faith or your stand as a Christian in some moral dimension, bring against you. You don't get a fair deal. It's raw. You're not treated fairly at your work or something like that. And the last one is calamities, or your Bible might say distresses or difficulties or troubles. And here the idea is of being crushed. That's what the word means, crushed or pressed down or weighed down. Circumstances that tend to overcome you because of tremendous stress or tension, like something being bent. Now, what you see from those four words, all I believe unpacking the word weakness is that they are not referring to sinful behavior. All right? We tend to use the word weakness that way. I don't think that's the way Paul is using it here. I don't have a problem if you use it that way in another context, perhaps. But let's not say that when Paul says, the power of Christ is perfected in my... He doesn't mean my bad choices. He's not saying the power of Christ is perfected in my bad choices. He's not saying I will all the more gladly boast in my bad choices. So weaknesses here do not mean weakness like he has a weakness for lust or she has a weakness for overeating. It, it, that's just not what he's talking about. OK, we'll save that for another sermon. He's talking about circumstances, situations, uh, painful experiences that you didn't want. They were brought upon you. They could have been caused by a hostile person. They might have been caused by circumstances totally beyond your control. And they weigh you down and they make you want to give up. And, and the word weakness is good for this. And it's good because if we had human strength, every one of us would try to get rid of these things. We'd try to have the last say when somebody insulted us. Oh, man, I, I got a letter in the mail this week from somebody who was at the homecoming service two weeks ago who just tore into me about uh, some things I won't mention. But uh, they don't go to the church. They were here from out of town. 
And I dictated a response. You know the spiritual warfare that I went through not to say, I, I, I even want to say it right now because then I'd get the last word. I'd so love to tell you what they criticized me for and how it wasn't legitimate, right? Ooh, we want the last word. Ooh, we want to be vindicated. We want to be justified. Why? Well, there's some good in that. But there's a lot of bad, too, because we want to look strong. I didn't blow it. I am in charge here. I don't make that many mistakes. See, we want to feel and look strong. If you keep your mouth shut when you've been criticized, what people might think is true. And it might be true. And you look weak. Same thing with hardships. If we had the strength, we'd get out of our hardships. We'd turn it back. We'd roll it away. Same with persecution. Boy, if somebody persecutes us, if we had the strength, we would get the last say. We would get our comeuppance there with them. Mm, it would be so good. And then they would never mess with us again. And so we'd look strong. And Paul says it's in weaknesses. It's laying it down, letting it go. That you can boast here and Christ's power is made perfect. We don't usually have that kind of strength. And here's another thing. Even if we did, Jesus says don't use it. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians 4. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. And you know what that looks like? Anemic. This looks anemic. At least it looks that way to people who define strength in terms of getting the last word. And pride. Which most people in the world do. So summarizing the answer to the first question... Weaknesses are not sinful behaviors in this context. They are experiences, situations, circumstances, wounds that are hard to bear. You can't remove. And sometimes even when you can remove them, Jesus says, don't remove them. Let them go. Go ahead and look weak. Let them have the last say. That's tough. It's tough for kids. It's tough for adults. Question number two. Where do these weaknesses come from? Do they come from Satan? Do they come from God? Do they come from both? Nowhere? Let's let Paul's thorn in the flesh here be our example. Now, in verses 1 to 4, as you heard Jim read them, Paul has just experienced, or it's not recent, it was a long time ago, that he experienced being caught up into the third heaven. He said it was so peculiar, I don't even know whether it was physical or just spiritual. I just know that I saw things and heard things in God's presence I can't even say on the earth. You talk about revelations, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, signs and wonders. He got one. He got one. And how easy it would have been, you felt this, for Paul to say, hmm, not many people get these experiences. I wonder why I got this experience. Wow. I, I just might have risen now to the point where I don't have to live 
on the ordinary plane of pain where everybody else lives. I've been to heaven. I've seen glory. And so I just kind of float above everybody else. Now verse 7 describes what happened to keep that from happening. To keep me... Now I don't like the Revised Standard Translation here. And I appreciate NIV and NASB getting it right. The RSV says, to keep me from being too elated. That's not the point. It's to keep me from exalting myself, New American Standard Bible, or to keep me from becoming conceited, New International Version. To keep me from being exalted. That word is used one other place in the New Testament, namely 2 Thessalonians 2.4, where the man of lawlessness exalts himself before God. So it's a bad word. It's not just happiness. It's a bad thing to feel exalted. So he's saying to keep me from being exalted in my revelations, the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. Now, this is a weakness. We're going to see in a minute. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from exalting myself. Now, the reason I want to use the thorn in the flesh as an example of a weakness is because that's what the text says it is. If you just keep reading, in verse 8, once he got this thorn, he cries out to God, take it away. Three times, take it away. And I don't know what it was. Nobody knows what it was. Could have been some kind of physical malady. Or it could have been some kind of continual chronic harassment from an enemy. But it was tough. It was hard. It made life miserable for Paul in some way. And so he cries out to God in verse 8, take it away. And the response in verse 9 ties it into weakness. Jesus says, no, my power is made perfect in weakness. So there it is. That's the connection between thorn and weakness. I've got this thorn. Take it away. No, I'll be perfected in that. Thorn slash weakness. So now we've got a specific weakness here. It's this thorn, and we can ask, where did it come from? That's the question number two. Where did this weakness come from? And one answer is right there on the face of the text, isn't it? Verse 7. It is a messenger of Satan to harass me. So one clear answer right there on the face of the text is that Satan did it. Satan did it. And Satan in it is harassing Paul. He hates Paul. Satan hates you. He hates you. He wants to kill you. He is a murderer from the beginning. He wants to make your life perfectly miserable and bring you to hate God and go to hell. That's Satan's goal. But it isn't that simple, is it? For a couple reasons. God is at work here and not just Satan. God is at work here. Two ways we see this. Number one, Paul describes the purpose of this thorn, this weakness, as preventing pride. Now, how do you account for that? Satan is in the business of producing pride, not preventing pride. 
Satan's number one goal is to produce pride instead of faith and humility in your life. So if Satan is at work here, and Paul describes the effect of this work as to eliminate pride in excessive revelations, you've got another worker on the scene besides Satan. You've got another goal, another purpose, another person involved here, and that's God. Because God's number one goal in your life is to get pride out of your life, humility and faith into your life, and exalt Jesus Christ. That's what childlikeness is all about. Paul's revelations in paradise made him vulnerable to pride. And so God uses, now mark this, this is heavy. God uses the hostile intentions and harassments of Satan for his holy purposes. Isn't that awesome? You got, you got Satan harassing, hurting, wanting from his vantage point to kill, and a sovereign God enclosing this demon, this messenger of Satan, enclosing him in his limitations and in his controls and saying, here's my holy intention for your evil work and I will produce it. I just think God gets great joy out of putting Satan to naught like that. That's the first reason I believe that God is at work here and not just Satan. Namely, that the purpose stated is a holy purpose. Getting pride out of Paul's life and out of your and my life. Now, here's my second reason for believing that God and not just Satan is at work in this thorn. When Paul prays in verse 8, take it away, remove it from me, please. The Lord answers, no, no. Because my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in this weakness. In other words, I aim to make you a showcase of my power through this demonic harassment in your life. I aim to make you a showcase of my power. So I'm in charge here and I am going to turn all this pain insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. I'm going to turn it all for the glory of my son's power and grace and for your ultimate good. Just like with Job. Job is a beautiful example here of what's going on. Satan came to God and said, uh, I want to get him. And God says, you can get him only so far. And in the end of the story, you know, God was controlling Satan, limiting Satan and using his enemy to accomplish his good purposes. So my answer to the second question, where do weaknesses come from? These painful things in our lives that humiliate us and uh, wound us and frustrate us and oppress us. The answer is sometimes they come from Satan and always they are used of God. I don't think we can get out of this text that they always come from Satan. I think you can say from this text, sometimes they come from Satan but always God is sovereign over Satan and uses them. Which brings us to the final question, and we've already answered it. Namely, what's the purpose of weaknesses? They have a goal. Why can't I find a job? Is there a purpose? Why 
Am I trapped in this awful marriage? I dealt with two couples this week, both of whom were asking that question. Why am I trapped in this God-awful marriage? Why does my father have cancer? That's what I wrote in my manuscript yesterday. He died last night. Andy Bennett's father died last night, 54 years old. Why can't I have children? Why don't I have any friends? Why do people just seem to gravitate away from me like the wrong end of a magnet? Why does nothing work in my life? A young woman sat in my office the other day and just listed everything in her life. It was wrong. It didn't work. Nothing was working. Now, is there a goal? Is there a purpose in that? And, and there are three answers, very briefly. Number one, Satan has a purpose. Namely, he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to get rid of your faith and either make you proud in what you've done or despairing in what you can't do. That's Satan's agenda. If you can't do anything, Satan's got a purpose for that. Despair. If you can do things, Satan's got a purpose for that. Pride. So fight him. God does not delight in pain. In and of itself. He can turn it for awesome good and does in this fallen world. But God does not chortle at anyone's pain. I don't know if it's in the paper this morning since I don't get a Sunday paper. But uh, I just can't help but mention it because it's weighed so heavily on me. Um, we were playing. I was playing uh, Wiffle ball with Barnabas in the backyard last night, and I saw this ball of fire explode out on the freeway. And I ran over there, and it looked like the car was on fire, so Noel called 911, and, uh, and it turned out it was a motorcycle. And uh, we could see the body lying behind it. And so I walked down around and got as close as I dared, and he was dead. And uh, it was ugly as could be. And all I could, I got home and uh, Barnabas said, what did you see, Daddy? I said, I saw Benjamin. Just meaning I'm a father and some father is going to see his son. Or maybe they won't let him see him, I don't know. Somebody last night got word, my kid is dead and mangled on, on the freeway. Now, you don't have to be simplistic about that. Satan, you could say, kill him. Yes, God was sovereign. I don't know why it went out of control. But if I were that parent, I would at least say to myself, this God has in mind for me. He wants me to be humble and broken and not proud that I have four sons. Paul was in great danger of pride. And isn't it remarkable? I mean, this is very strange in our culture that God regards humility as more important than comfort. God regards humility as more important than freedom from pain. Our God has very different priorities than the world does. You see the flow in this passage? 
He is caught up into heaven. He sees the glory of God. He's lifted up with joy. We call it a mountaintop experience. And then God pulls him through anguish with this thorn. So don't ever think that signs and wonders or miracles, words of knowledge and prophecies will lift you above the normal course of life where people suffer. It didn't work that way with Paul. In fact, they went smack together. The greatest revelation in heaven smacked together with the thorn in the flesh that made him miserable. Because God wanted a humble man more than he wanted anything. And the final purpose, and I close with this, is the glory of the grace and power of God's Son. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So God's design is to make you a showcase of of Jesus' power. God wants to glorify Jesus in your life. And I just want, I, I just plead with you to let God be God here. Don't second guess God. Don't, don't say it shouldn't be this way for me if it's that way with somebody else. Let Hebrews 11 be your pattern here where it says, By faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. By faith, some were killed by the sword. By faith, some stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, others were sawn asunder. By faith, mighty men gained victory in battle. By faith, others suffered chains and imprisonment. God must be allowed to be God. You see, you can't write the script for Him. You can't say, wait a minute, faith brought victory to the army over there, so it'll bring victory to my army. No way. God is God. Faith might give you strength to endure defeat. Faith might give another victory and you defeat. Faith might open the prison for Peter and cut off James' head. God is God. We cannot say faith will always triumph over the weakness. It will be in the weakness that the triumph comes often. So the ultimate purpose is that God might Build into you this morning the kind of power that took Jesus to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks, but to those who are called the power. Of God. Now, what did he mean? Here's the weakest of all situations. Hanging on the cross. Spit upon. Beat up. Mocked. Weakness personified. And, and Paul says, power. God's power. So the power that can get you onto a cross. And keep you there until the work of love is done in your life. Is what God wants to build into your life more than anything else this morning. I want to close with a song. It's one I've come to love, and I'm sure many of you love it too. It's printed here in your worship folder. Give thanks. And as we get ready to sing it, let me tell you this. We will have about a half a dozen prayer teams standing around the front here in different places, little badges on, some of them. If you came in with a heaviness or feel a need now of any kind, We really believe you ought to pray that they be taken away. That's what Paul did. I mean, if God says no, 
then you become strong in them. But God sometimes wants to lift the burden. And so they would love to just uh, pray with you if you came up to one and said, could I just uh, have you pray with me for a minute? They'll pray about anything in your life. They would love to.